this weekend we were in the mountains that was nice that was fun yeah and it was a full moon on Mm. friday yeah we could talk about that friday the 13th full moon anything spooky happen guys anything effed up no no just got killed at work friday night was it really busy (laughs) really threw up oh did you really spooky you threw up (laughs) yeah that's that's not great (laughs) no that's pretty not great (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, there's more Friday the 13th this year than there usually are, so maybe we'll have more opportunities oh. for... Is this? Yeah. Are there more after this one? Yeah. Well, I guess when I say this year, I'm thinking like academic year. So oh. like I know there's one in March, and I think there's one in like December, I think. So I could be wrong on that. But no um, full moon. That was like a unique moment in time that we mm-hmm. won't get back for yeah. another like... 40 years, years, I think, is really that many. Yeah. I think maybe only been dead by then. Or maybe it's just the harvest moon on a Friday the 13th. But I heard 40 years that it's been like over 20, and it'll be like 39 years before that. But is that like one of those things where people are like, July 13th is on a Saturday for the first time in 400 years, and it won't happen again? You know how people (laughs) post that stuff on Facebook? And it's like. No, five years ago it was on. A yeah, Saturday. like that. That happens all the Just time. Straight up, Sorry, not guys. true. But people see it and they're like, "Wow, it's magical!" Repost, repost. It's people are gullible. People are gullible, <laughs> and we still love people, even though they're gullible. Yes, we do. Well, is it time? Are we gonna have a podcast? <laughs> Everybody together, all together. Now. Are, are we, we gonna, gonna have, have a podcast? podcast? <laughs> that was bad. <laughs> Sit down, I want to tell you a story, a really weird and messed up story, with murdering ghosts and gobbly ghouls, it's all really fucked up, so don't you be fooled, it's effed up family story time. The podcast. <laughs> hey everyone, welcome to our second episode of Effed Up Family Story Time. I'm Salem. And I'm her daughter, Hannah. <laughs> Today we are joined by my other daughter, Belle. The cooler daughter. <laughs> and my sister, Kelly. The cooler not daughter. <laughs> uh, oh yeah, I'm telling the story Who's this telling week? the story this it's week? It's me, bitches. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Anna, what story are you telling? Uh, I'm going to tell the story of Philip Carl Jablonski, and I just want to have a warning. It's real fucked up. It gets like real sad. So am I going to cry, Hannah? You might. I don't want to cry. Warning. Is it explicit? Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, before we get started (laughs) with that to look forward to. (laughs) So, yeah, before we get started, I want to talk about our last episode. Um, If you listened, you may have noticed that we had some technical difficulties and we are just kind of figuring all of this out. So thank you for listening. And I hope you guys stick with us. It's just going to get better as we go. It is a work in progress, so. And what are we drinking today? I don't know. Uh, well, Jess isn't here, so Belle, what are we drinking? Belle? What, well. did, what did Jess well. tell you were drinking today? <laughs> Last week, Jess introduced all of you to the Dragon Slayer, the drink that we discovered at the Ren Fest. 
And this week, we would like to proudly introduce our own creation that we made at the Renaissance Festival. I'm going to warn you guys, this drink is completely different from the one that we had last week. So, you're going to take your beer glass, you're going to fill it halfway with Killian's, and then you're going to fill it halfway with Angry Orchard Rosé. Oh, and it's like, totally different. I said completely different. <laughs> so, it's up to you guys to spread the word. Try it out. Tell your friends. Tell Ask for it at the Ren Fest. Everyone. Ask for it at your bar. <laughs> make it famous yeah <laughs> and and when you ask for it and the bartender doesn't know what it is just make sure you give him a look like you don't know how do you what not the dragon know lover is? what the dragon everybody lover knows is. what the dragon lover is <laughs> well it's pretty tasty yeah, customer service good. people it, really love it when you scoff at them yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> it makes them want to help exactly you. what we should yeah. do especially like experts in their field who yep. know how to make all the drinks make them feel real bad for not knowing one that you made up <laughs> You shouldn't. You shouldn't do that. No, don't you shouldn't do that. Do that. Be Please kind. treat your customer service workers with respect and dignity, and tip your bartenders. Tip them. <laughs> tip them. On that note, cheers. 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 Clink. All right. So I think it's time for us to get to the story. We've all got our drinks. We're ready for this. Can I just? You don't have to say clink when we're actually clinking glasses. <laughs> I guess not. <laughs> maybe that's I, okay. It added I, the extra emphasis. Maybe do that anyway just because i'm excited to clink glasses i appreciate it you're making fun of me already <laughs> i'm gonna cry before hannah even gets to the story <laughs> all, right. all right hannah what's going are on are we ready yeah okay so philip carl jablonski the fuck did you just say that it's murder time oh. <laughs> sorry <laughs> Philip Carl Jablonski was born April 8th, 1946, in Joshua Tree, California. The Jablonski family was the poorest of the poor in a lower middle class neighborhood, and Philip's father was an abusive alcoholic who was said to have beaten his wife and his children. Some neighbors said that the father was the meanest man that they ever knew. Uh, Philip Jablonski's father would grab his daughter's and his daughter's friend's breasts and he tried to suffocate or strangle his wife whenever they had sex. Ooh, so we're just starting we're off just real great here. Yep. <laughs> Going right, right into in. it. Uh, and Philip was beaten the most out of all of his siblings because he would often try to stop his father from assaulting his mom. And so he got the brunt of a lot of the violence. Uh, and violence was a daily occurrence in the Jablonski family. And the police refused to intervene despite them being called numerous times to the household they never did anything well is that just because of the times i guess what i mean it was he was, was born this? in 1946 so when he was a kid it was early 50s like oh when he was it, a kid yeah. yeah early 50s yeah so i think it might be maybe they just, just part of the times yeah. but what happens in your own house still fucked up they just let it happen yeah hmm um, Philip's father always carried a gun and he would brandish it at his kids and scold them and tell them things like they didn't deserve to be born and they didn't deserve to live while brandishing a gun at them. And it's just so fucked up. <laughs> it's not going to scar so your kids for assholes, life. Yeah. yeah. At all. Uh, according to Philip's younger sister, Patsy, Philip was molested by their neighbor when he was four or five. And that same neighbor also molested Patsy and there were two children that she said were present during the time of the molestation. 
Despite this, Philip was always described as quiet, and his sister and his brothers called him a goody two-shoes. But he also was said to have taken out his aggression on his siblings, and he would hit them when his parents weren't home. So there's a lot of conflicting... Yeah. Well, he was just... It was a recipe for disaster for all of those kids from the very beginning. And I mean, you think, like, you grow up in a house of violence, and that's all that you know, and, you know, like, how are you going to know any different? Like... Well, you and then learn also, from your surroundings and what's around you. And, and also outside of the family, mm-hmm. they were being abused by people outside yeah. of the family, mm-hmm. too. So it's like there was no safe place. And you have to think about what that sort of trauma does to the developing brain of a young child and how that can create Ooh. some really significant mental health needs and issues. So, yeah, this is a recipe for some more bad stuff, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Philip always got upset when his parents were gone too long, and he would say things like, they never loved me. They always hate me. Which is just so sad. As a teen, he was described as a nice person who kept to himself and a very anxious child that was scared all the time. However, Patsy, his younger sister, testified in court that when she was 14 and Philip was 16, he put a rope around her neck, threw her on the bed, and said, I'm going to get some of that off of you. He had an erection the whole time, and Patsy thought he was going to rape her. However, Philip apologized and started to cry. She told their parents, and their father beat Philip. Which, you can't molest your sister. That's only for me. That's only for me me and my neighbor. Yeah. Um, In 1966, wait, sorry, missed something. (laughs) In high school... Philip was in the cadet corps, and in 1966, he enlisted in the army. He claims that he served in Vietnam, but his military records are kind of unclear if he actually did or not, so no one really knows if he was actually in Vietnam. (laughs) Weird. It is weird. (laughs) And after Philip came back from the army in 1968, he married his former high school classmate, Alice McGowan, and Alice said that Philip had changed after he came back from Vietnam, quote unquote, Vietnam. <laughs> if <laughs> that's where he really if that's was. Where he was. Uh, she said that he was a mean, violent, and changed man. And after he came back, the couple moved to Texas. Philip started becoming violent during sex with Alice. Once he put a pillow over her face and tried to suffocate her, and numerous other times he grabbed her throat and strangled her until she became unconscious during sexual intercourse. That sounds an awful lot like what his dad used to do to his mm, mom. Yep. Right? Hmm. Uh, while Alice was pregnant with their child, Philip strangled her until his mother convinced him to stop. Wow. Yeah. Hmm. So shortly after that, Philip and Alice got a divorce. Good. Surprise. Mm-hmm. Good, good, for, good her. for her. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but then... Philip met his second wife, Jane Sanders, in November of 1968. Did Philip and Alice just have the one child? Yeah, they okay. just had the one kid. Just trying to keep track in case there's going to be more. Oh, there's plenty more. Great. Plenty more. <laughs> plenty more children and plenty more wives. Uh, so Jane Sanders and Philip met in November of 1968, and on their very first date, Philip raped her, and she became pregnant. Oh, my God. She didn't report the rape because she was afraid and ashamed of it. Because it was when? 1968? 1968. Yeah. People don't report rapes 90% of the time today because they're afraid. Mm -hmm. Um, So they entered into a relationship, 
And in July of 1969, Jane was pregnant and Philip left the army and moved back to California from Texas, where he had been living with Alice McGowan. Um, the sex life between Jane and Philip was extremely violent. Once Jane wanted to stop sex and Philip threatened her with a pistol if she didn't continue, he knocked her unconscious and when she came to, he was still having sex with her. Like his ex-wife, Alice McGowan, Philip would smother Jane with a pillow and render her unconscious. Jane, at this point, was afraid that if he smothered her and killed her, that he would be left alone with their children. And so she left him in 1972. But before she left, Philip got mad and threw a frying pan with hot grease at her. It missed. It missed. Good. So she took the pan and knocked him out, and that's when she left with her children. <laughs> Good for right. She should have hit him harder. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so shortly after uh, Jane Sanders left Philip, Philip Jablonski met Marcia Strain and her husband. They'd become acquainted with him after they'd bought dogs from a company that Jablonski worked for. He trained security dogs. And on December 17th of 1972... Philip came to the Strain's household to discuss a problem with one of the dogs, even though Marsha's husband had asked him not to because he wasn't going to be there. He was going to be at work, and he didn't feel comfortable with Philip being there alone with his wife. Uh, he still came. He told Marsha to watch him handle the dog from the window. So she went into her bedroom window, expecting to see him outside. He was not outside. He was, in fact, in her bedroom and put a knife to her throat telling her to undress and threaten to kill her children if she didn't. Oh, no. Oh, Jablonski raped Strain at knife point and struck her with the blunt end of the knife so hard that it fractured her orbital bone. Oh, my. Then, later on, while her eight-month-old baby was in the room, he sodomized her. <gasps> while he was doing this, Philip said that his wife had just left him and he didn't know why he was doing it, but he couldn't stop and he had already started and she could identify him. The dog outside started barking. He told her to bring it inside, and while Marsha was outside, she ran to the neighbor's house. The neighbor grabbed his gun and ran into Jablonski while he was leaving the Strain's household, held him at gunpoint until the police arrived. When Jablonski talked to the police when they arrived, he told them, I don't know why I did it. My wife just left me. Later on, he told a detective, I didn't know what I was doing at the time. Everything blanked out for me, and I just wasn't myself. I figure to myself, under a doctor's care and supervision, that it would never happen again. He was then arrested and convicted of the rape of Marcia Strain. Hmm. Well, good. So what does that rape conviction get him, then? Six months in prison? Like, I mean, it's this. It's <laughs> I, the I 70s, think it was early 70s, so. a couple of years. Yeah, I think I... If I remember correctly, I think it was... I guess my point is just it's not like he was off the streets for no, good. And no, now he was safe. definitely released, I think, like five years later. Ugh. Well, how often do you see that, especially in the 70s, of like serial killers who were convicted multiple times of like minor, you know, instances leading up to their sprees and everything, yeah. you know, they're like constantly convicted, evaluated, and they're like, well, you're fit to be in society and then released. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to then commit more heinous yeah, crimes. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, what do you think they're going to do? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, they've proven. that It's not like they try to rehabilitate either. It's no. not like they send these guys to prison and put them through a rehabilitation They just program. evaluate they just them until they seem them like they're normal enough to, you know, yeah. handle it. I, I don't know. And yeah. even then, if they have a certain time sentence, yeah. once their sentence is served, like, 
they're not they can't hold them anymore no gotta let them go but they've been convicting people of minor weed charges for 20 plus years yeah. for right. decades yeah. but yeah. Yeah. Still these serial prison. murderers yeah. let's let them run free or rapists or yeah child <laughs> molesters <laughs> and yeah it's all fucked you guys it's all <laughs> fucked it's pretty it messed up <laughs> okay so while philip was in prison for the rape of marcia strain he became acquaintances with Mary McGovern, who was part of a letter-writing program to prisoners organized by her prayer group in Zionville, Indiana. Um, when Philip was released, he invited Mary to live with him, and she eventually agreed. She made it very clear to Jablonski, though, that she wasn't going to have sex with him. On the third day that Mary was visiting Philip, he admitted that he had dug a grave for her and was planning to kill her. He decided, though, that since she was so sincere about helping him, that he would not go through with his plan and would not kill her. Oh, how generous of him. How nice. What Uh, a power trip. I decided I was going to kill you, but you're so generous and sweet that I'm not going to. But here, I'll show you the grave that I (laughs) dug dug for you when I was planning. I decided not to. And you should thank me. You should be grateful Mm -hmm. that I didn't kill you. So she stayed after that, and the next day, Philip came into her room and asked to have sex with her. She said no, but in order to placate him, she let him tie her up with knitting yarn, thinking that she could break free from it if she needed to. What? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Okay, yeah. Why did she even stay? I don't know. Why do people do... I mean, I don't understand. I don't understand it. it I don't get it either. I can change him. He's fucking crazy. You're not going to be able to change him. He He would murder you. He was going to kill you. Get out! Like, leave. (laughs) And it's not like she had established enough of a relationship with him at that point that she was like, "I love him." Maybe like a pen pal up to that. Yeah, they had been pen pals through. But that's a like, writing you know, program meeting at the prison. a crazy person online and being like, I'm totally in love with him. He lives in New Jersey. And then, like, you meet him and he's fucking nuts. And well, then you say, never mind. I'm yeah. actually not in love with him. I was and wrong. And she had met Back him away. through a writing program at the prison, yeah, knowing like full well that he was convicted of a rape. violent rape. I don't understand. I don't get it. I, mean, I don't want to victim blame, but, no, like, lady. I mean, and in that case, I suppose, like, if she believed he was rehabilitated and then wanted it's really just about why did she stay at that point like mm-hmm. yeah okay fine you met this person you think he's rehabilitated you think you might have a connection but then you meet him and you realize that he's he was going to murder you so maybe that's when you make your exit yeah, yeah. exactly yeah. then you leave <laughs> the knitting yarn the knitting yarn <laughs> so he tied her up with the knitting yarn left the room and returned with a straight razor She thought he was going to kill her, but instead he shaved her pubic area and photographed it. Then he put a pillow over her face and she played dead until he left the room. The very next day, Mary left. Um, Good call. Good call. Yeah. Well, she (laughs) left. Maybe a day late, but. But she did (laughs) it. She left. left. Yeah. (laughs) She survived because she left. It's true. So after this, in February of 1977, Philip Jablonski met Linda Kimball. And by August, they were living together. Linda then gave birth to their daughter in December of 1977. Linda's mother, Isabel Pauls, I think that's how you pronounce it. 
Isabel Paul. Isabel. Yeah. Isabel Paul. We're going to go with that. That's what I'd say. <laughs> um, she lived nearby. On July 6th of 1978, Isabel woke up to Philip on top of her, wearing nothing but his underwear and holding a knife to her throat. He said he had come to rape her, but he didn't go through with it because all he could see was Linda's face when he looked at hers. This is her mother that he attempted to rape. That's weird and creepy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, yep. and the amount of times that he's like, it's so weird. It's like you wonder if he's like doing this on purpose. Like the amount of times that he's like, I'm going to kill you. or I was going to kill you. But then this made me decide to change my mind or I was going to rape you. But then, you know, you did this and I changed my mind. Like that sounds like way more of a power trip than like him actually like, you know, it's almost like he's like trying to psychologically like mess with his victims or whatever yeah. before actually going through with the deed. Well, like, and he's gone through with it before, too. Well, yeah. And so in and these so instances like, where he doesn't. What are you trying to do here? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe he really is trying to not kill somebody. Maybe he really Maybe. is just like compelled fighting and he's trying to fight. Time. Yeah. Fighting I don't the trust demons. it. <laughs> As know. you should not. It gets worse from here. <laughs> Perfect. Oh, man. <laughs> yep. It's already, you just like dove right in. Second episode, <laughs> here we are. I honestly, when I initially started researching this, I did not think it would be this bad. Okay. But then I found the court documents for when he was like tried and arrested. Mm-hmm. And it fucking is I intense, heard you say man. They were like reading court documents for oh, like yeah, four for, hours. Like, four last hours. Night. <laughs> it's intense. <laughs> like camping. <laughs> that just, just had to lighten it. the mood a little yeah. bit yeah you know, we need a little palate cleanser <laughs> all right back to the scary stuff all right um so isabel managed to escape to her neighbor's house but she didn't report the incident because she was concerned for her daughter linda yeah i gotta say i think that's weird that he did she didn't report it because she was concerned for her daughter but this is her daughter's husband yes so maybe if you were concerned for your daughter you would lock him up it. yeah like yeah. <laughs> well and they have a small infant child at this point i mean i kind of get what she's thinking but and it's I'm totally against them all too. common yeah. sense you know anyway i just had to say that yeah um linda promised that philip would get treatment at the va hospital at loma linda um, but after the incident, Linda and her children left Jablonski and moved in with her mother, Isabel Pauls. On July 16th, at around 11 a.m., Linda came to the apartment that she shared with Philip to pick up some things for the baby. That afternoon, Kimball's body was found at the apartment. Her wrists were bound. She had been beaten, stabbed, and strangled with a man's belt. Her blouse had been pulled up and her pants and underwear had been pulled down. Her bra was ripped apart and the cause of death was asphyxiation. Jablonski was arrested in Arizona 11 days later. The police found a note in his handwriting that said, Where were they living? California. California. Okay. He made it all the way to Arizona. Yeah. In 11 days. Mm-hmm. Police found a note in Jablonski's handwriting that said, Killed to date, Linda Kimball, common law wife. I told her she would never raise Megan alone or leave me alive. She begged me not to kill her. You screamed, but it was cut short. why where did where did they find that writing like why did he write that he just wrote that for himself or like he's just in he had your diary today yeah Ah, he just had it on his person well and you think 
you know, that's not uncommon for people who have those kinds of, you know, like serial murders and especially like sexual crimes, mm-hmm. you know, for them to like want to relive it and write it down and think about it and have that moment forever immortalized, you know, yeah, because true. they get off on it and it's well, gross. it's the same reason it's that creepy. a lot of serial killers will return to the scene of the crime mm-hmm. and it's like take token, like you know, like little tokens at the crime scene, trophies, yeah, yeah trophies, whatever. yeah, they relive it. That's where they get some of their thrill. Yeah, this is messed up. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's the fucked up family story time yeah, podcast I mean, so guy. you clicked on this link <laughs> this one's a little more fucked up than others but <laughs> sorry everybody. they won't all be this <laughs> no, gruesome don't be I sorry promise. this is what it is mm-hmm. we were true to brand yep. <laughs> so before jablonski was arrested for the murder of linda kimball he assaulted eileen Millsap at her home in highland california he said that he was responding to an advertisement that eileen had posted on the internet or no it's the 70s. She didn't post it on the internet. <laughs> that would have been Should hard. Have just left that and then everyone would be like, wait, is that the I think that's wrong. This whole story is made up. She posted it in her local paper. <laughs> that's 70s. There we go. Um, she had posted it in her local paper about a stove that she had put for sale. And Jablonski came into her house while she was alone with her small children. He put a knife to her three-year-old son's throat and forced her into the bedroom to undress. With her two young children in the room, he began to choke her. She lost consciousness, and Philip Jablonski was gone when she woke up. Her wallet and purse were also missing, and Philip had used one of her credit cards to buy gas. While in prison for Linda Kimball's murder, Nettie Jablonski, who was Philip Jablonski's mother, came to visit Philip in prison with his father, and out of anger, he Philip had grabbed his mother, choked her, covered her mouth, and dragged her into the bedroom of the family visiting trailer. Nettie yelled for help, and Jablonski's father came to help her. So he was even assaulting his own family at this point. While well, he was at in the prison, prison yeah. there weren't any guards around or anything to like intervene? Well, they had a family or? visiting oh, trailer, I and I feel... I don't know exactly, and they but probably I think had in that some instance, privacy. Yeah. Yeah. I think some of those, they, yeah, they just let you go in, and there's no guard in there. Yeah. Yeah. But that's still pretty... They should have Ballsy. heard the struggle. Like, yeah. she's mm-hmm. being strangled. Like, there's got to be Jesus. some sort of fight. I don't know. So, I have a question. Um, yes. So, Eileen, that he assaulted, was that in the 11 days between... Yes, that was before he had been his... arrested in Arizona for the murder of Linda But after Kimball. he murdered Linda. Yes. Okay. Somewhere so, in between. I don't know exact dates, but... even So, even while he was on the run, he stopped... To assault to somebody. To assault somebody. Did he get convicted for that or was it just for the murder when he was arrested did they charge him I with that assault i'm too? not sure i mean the fact i that didn't it's read court documents for his first conviction no you're good which is he has multiple convictions well, for so murder many. surprise <laughs> i was just curious so if yeah. what the timing on that was because that's like i said again ballsy yeah you know <laughs> he kind of well and com- compulsory all of it too yeah. like that's more of a compulsion Mm-hmm. than anything else that while you're on the run for literal murder you feel compelled to stop and assault somebody right. true very true that's the like deep-seated sickness yeah that, mm-hmm. yeah so heavy well, shit man and on that note we're gonna take a break before we get to the real fucked up I think shit we're gonna <laughs> need another dragon love yes. love in this room Seriously. huzzah <laughs> that with your dad 
Breed? Yeah. What did oh, they nice. say? It, it chapter oh, two. I want to see that. It was Breed the day before Dad's birthday. It's only kind of okay. Um, it's not as good as the first one. Boo. That's too bad. Is it because Bill Hader can't one. be scared? Bill Hader is that? one of the. <laughs> he was like, I can't be scared. He goes, every time that I get scared, I smile. He's like, I'm just like. <laughs> <laughs> he was one of the best parts of that movie. Did you see that he recently posted all about his anxiety? He posted like a video all about his anxiety and like what he's had to do over the years with some sort of bad story. Because I don't remember the campaign, but like essentially like raising awareness of people who struggle with anxiety. I don't know. Oh. I thought it was cool because like he's a, a popular person and he makes his living doing things that induce his anxiety like yeah. being yeah. on snl yeah and he like openly talks about that and that i was like well. me too <laughs> how do i identify i will good. say the entire time watching a chapter two i could not think of bill Hader not being his character from hot rod <laughs> oh really <laughs> he would say certain things and there's a part where he cries and i just thought of that part <laughs> funny where where his character in hot rod cries uh but like when rod is like an adult and he has that giant shopping cart of alcohol (laughs) like in the supermarket yeah (laughs) we're serious man (laughs) this is the second podcast in a row that hannah has referenced hot rod i love Um, it fucking amazing hot rod number two favorite movie of all time every what's number one let's just make this a hot rod yeah good yeah, we could I make did. a Hot Rod podcast. I wrote an essay my freshman year of college about Hot Rod, and I got an A-plus on it. Yeah. That's funny. <laughs> nice. And Princess Bride, though. Okay, let's go. More <laughs> scary stuff. Now that we've had our drink and we can handle this shit a little better. Welcome back. Maybe. <laughs> Welcome, Welcome back. back. All right. So we're going to dive right into the Carol Spadoni murder. Um, This is where it gets real fucked up and there's a lot of really intense and this is details. where it gets well all right yeah it's real fucked, fucked up, up. <laughs> everything prior to now was just just a warm-up just a warm-up get ready all right i'm scared in 1982 carol spadoni met philip jablonski after answering a newspaper ad he had posted while serving time in prison they married in 1982 at san quentin where jablonski was incarcerated because she was a really smart lady, apparently. Yep. Also, sorry, not victim blaming, but this is the second time that he has posted an ad and someone has responded to him. You know, um, men in prison will tell you that there is really no shortage of women that are willing to write and yeah. actually want to have relationships with these Look guys. Look at Ted so. Bundy. Well, yeah, I mean, Ted Bundy Ted got Bundy married and had a child and while he was Manson, in prison. Charles Manson, literally, like three years before he died, got married to some yeah. like twenty-six-year-old or something, like super weird. Like some weird people out there. Yeah, I'd be really interested to just know more about their mental like where they are what their thought process is mm-hmm. because i want to very quickly just dismiss like those crazy people why are you doing responding yeah. to those ads for prison don't you know they're in prison but then i also appreciate the idea of you know wanting to help these men find redemption and wanting i don't know like find value in people even if they what make mistakes in their life are their motivations but then i'm also like that's yeah, creepy why are you weird. doing this so i don't know i'm well and it's also very dependent thing. on the type of crime that they're in prison for at yeah, this point true. he was in prison for murdering his ex-wife and he and was so, like had been convicted, had of, been convicted rape. of rape so like it's specifically related to his relationship with other women know? so why would yeah. you want to be a woman exactly yeah. do they know though what he was convicted of before you know like it's possible that they don't but that's also disclosed? public record and if you're 
Well, having conversations with an inmate, I feel like they would look time, up their convictions. You think about what year this is, what, like 70? 82 at this 82. point. 82. That's so true. You that's Google still, that's you know, true. you can't just like pull out your smartphone and you're like, hey, Philip Jabrowski, Jabronski, whatever. What's his name? <laughs> J- Philip Jablonski. Jablonski. <laughs> Third time's the charm. I don't know. <laughs> You, you gotta go to the library. You gotta, you gotta pull out microfiche. some documents. Microfish? Microfiche. <laughs> Microfiche. <laughs> All right, let's hear about this lady responding to ads <laughs> to people she shouldn't be. So, over the years, Carol Spadoni wanted to end her relationship with Philip Jablonski. She told a friend that he was weird and that she was afraid of him. Carol lived with her mother, Eva Peterson, in Burlingham, Burlingame? 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 Burlingame. I don't know. Sounds good. There's only one G, so it's weird. Burlingame, California. That's where she lived with her mother, Eva Peterson. In the summer of 1990, Eva Peterson called a prison friend of Jablonski's, Richard Munez. Munez lived in Sacramento and had maintained a friendship between Carol Spadoni and Eva Peterson after he was released from prison. Peterson asked Munez to come to her house and pick up some of Jablonski's belongings in anticipation of his release from prison. Peterson didn't want Jablonski on her property. She was afraid of him and that he might hurt her and her daughter. So Munez took all of the items and stored them in his garage in Sacramento. At the time, Carol Spadoni talked to Jablonski's parole officer, Robert Paredes? Paredes? Paredes. Paredes, yeah. Great. Jablonski had asked to be allowed to live with Spadoni before he was released. When Carol found out about this, she didn't want him to live with her because she was afraid of him. So when Jablonski was released from prison at Vacaville in September of 1990, Richard Munez picked him up and his parole officer told him he couldn't travel more than 50 miles from his residence and he wasn't allowed to go to Burlingame. Bur- I can't say it. Burlingame. I don't know. That's- Whatever. Yeah. Correct us, <laughs> listeners. If you're from Burlingame, California, please tell us that I'm sorry. (laughs) Um, Philip Jablonski wasn't allowed to travel there where Carol Spadoni and her mother lived, and he was upset about these conditions. He was also required to go to a counseling program, and he ended up in a program at the Loma Linda VA. In January 1991, Jablonski obtained a driver's license and a 1965 Ford Fairlane and enrolled in an automotive class at the local community college. He befriended Jim Lawrence, another student at the automotive class, says, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He befriended Jim Lawrence, another student at the automotive classes, around, and around April 18th, Philip obtained a small gun from Lawrence, despite the fact that Lawrence knew he was a convicted felon and that he wasn't allowed to own guns or bullets, he sold the gun to him. He was doing him a favor. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and all of the students at the automotive class thought that Jablonski was very smart. He tape-recorded all of the classes. He was studious. He didn't really talk to anybody. And so I think that there's some sort of like, oh, well, yeah, he's a felon, but he seems like a good guy, so I'll give him my gun. So I'm sure it's fine. Yeah. He's rehabilitated. <laughs> yeah, exactly. On April 22nd, Philip Jablonski told his instructor that he wouldn't be in class the next day because he had had a doctor's appointment. In the evening of April 22nd, Philip was seen with another student, Fatima Van. Fatima? 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 Van. Van? I don't know. 
I'm but, sorry. But I'm butchering people's on. names. <laughs> That's probably something people should get listen, used to if they listen to us. <laughs> We're sorry. On April 24th of 1991, a family friend of Carol Spadoni and Eva Peterson, Robert Gallandau, had not heard from the two women in a few days. He got worried and he called them but didn't have an answer. Two days later, on April 26th, he drove to their house and noticed a stack of newspapers in the yard and a couple of packages on the hoods of one of their cars parked in the driveway. Gallandau went around the back and noticed a cage containing cats who had no food or water. That's sad. I know. I don't know why they were back there, but he noticed that they hadn't been fed or hadn't had water in a few days, so he believed something was wrong, and he called the police. The police arrived around 7.20 a.m. They found no signs of forced entry, but noticed that the side door of the garage was unlocked. Entering from there, they noticed that the kitchen door was open, and they found the body of Eva Peterson lying on her back in the garage with her feet facing the kitchen. There was a gag in her mouth with a gunshot through it. She was naked from the waist down, her sweatshirt and bra pulled up over her breasts and around her neck. There was another bullet hole above her right breast, a stab wound in her neck, cuts around one of her nipples and around the right eye. The cause of death was found to be the gunshot to her head and chest. Police then entered the home and saw the body of a second woman, who they discovered was Carol Spadoni. She was also gagged. She was found in the living room, dressed in a nightgown. Her nose and mouth had been covered with duct tape, wrapped so tightly it would have cut off her breathing if she hadn't been stabbed in the throat, creating a functional tracheotomy. Ah! That's really kind of weird. Yeah. Yeah. There was a bullet wound behind her right ear, three stab marks in her abdomen, Half of her right breast was sliced off, exposing a silicone implant. There were stab wounds to her vagina, and intestines were protruding from her anus. The cause of death was found to be the gunshot wound, with the stab wounds contributing. Decomposition had set in, so so the pathologists couldn't determine if there had been a sexual assault on Carol Spadoni. I would say probably yes, though. Yeah. Given his history. Yeah. There was a journal found on the kitchen table, and the final entry was on April 23rd of 1991. They searched Eva Peterson's bank records and found a check for $200 written to Philip Jablonski and signed by Peterson. The signature did not match Peterson's signature on her bank signature card. Hmm. A bank teller in Millbrae, where the check from Eva Peterson was cashed, later identified Jablonski as the person who cashed the check on April 23rd. He also withdrew $500 from his own savings account. Jablonski was arrested in Kansas on April 28, 1991. In his wallet were $710, a $90 check drawn on Eva Peterson's bank account, and credit cards taken out in her name. A small address book was found in Jablonski's wallet, and it had the names, addresses, and dates of birth for Eva Peterson and Carol Spadoni. Beneath both of their names were the words, Death, April 23rd, 1991. At this point, the dates of the murders weren't public record yet. Hmm. The police searched his car and revealed a loaded .22 caliber revolver. The bullets drawn from this gun matched the bullets that were pulled from Eva Peterson's body. They also found duct tape in Jablonski's car, 
and it was consistent with the duct tape found on Spadoni's body. He, they also found homemade wire handcuffs and an electric taser. They found a knife sheath, but no knife, but the sheath tested presumptively positive for blood. There was also a black leather belt found in Jablonski's car, and on the back written in ink was Carol Jablonski, 4-23-1991, Burlingame, California, and Eva Peterson, 4-23-1991, Burlingame, California. They found a tape recorder with Jablonski's voice describing arriving at Spadoni and Peterson's home, killing them, and sexually assaulting Eva Peterson. He described shooting Spadoni through the brain, tying duct tape around her mouth and nose, stabbing her in the throat, slicing open her breast, and stabbing her pubic area. He described shooting Peterson, fondling her breasts, sodomizing her, raping her, and attempting to take her eyes out. Mm. It also described stabbing her in the throat, her stomach, and the pubic area. He moved their bodies, ate, showered, and shot Peterson through the gag he placed in her mouth before leaving. But she was already dead at that point because it was her. They said the cause of death was the head wound and the chest bullet or chest. I am not sure because she he'd been he'd shot her in the chest at this point, but then he shot her through the gag in the head. That was the head bullet. So maybe she wasn't. So even she might dead not yet? have been dead yet. Oh. It's like eating lunch, and she's yeah. still. Ugh. So before these murders happened, on April 22nd, 1991, Jablonski killed Fatima Vaughn, the student that he was seen leaving the automotive school with on the same day. She was found naked and lying in a shallow ditch in the Indio Desert with the words, I love Jesus, carved into her back. Oh, that's weird. Yeah. Because he never did anything like that before. That was Hmm. like very out of character for his other murders. But he was the last person seen alive with her. I'm and sure it, it was him. I yeah. mean, that's an awfully big coincidence for her to be with him, a known killer, and to have yeah. somebody else murder her. But Her body had also been mutilated, and her eyes and ears had been removed. He was also charged with the robbery and murder of Margie Rogers in Ground County, Utah, on April 28th, or April 27th, 1991. So I believe a day before he was arrested for Carol Spadoni and Eva Peterson's murders. Um, Rogers was sexually assaulted and shot twice in the head. She was 58 years old. Jeez. So he just went on a rampage, essentially. In in this Mm -hmm. short He just lost it. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of. I mean, like he ever had it, but. (laughs) But, yeah. So after he was arrested, there was a trial. And his defense tried an insanity plea. um, But despite... He had, he had been diagnosed with schizophrenia in 1968 before at one of the VA hospitals that he had seen, but psychiatrists found Jablonski to be, sound, to be of sound mind during the murders, so he did not win his insanity defense. Good. On August 12, 1994, Philip Carl Jablonski was found guilty of the murders of Carol Spadoni, Eva Peterson, Fatima Van, and Margie Rogers, and he was sentenced to death. Jablonski tried to appeal the death penalty, but it was upheld by the California Supreme Court in January of 2006. He's still imprisoned in San Quentin, and he is 73 years old today. Um, Is he still on death row? Yeah, he's still on death row. It's still been upheld, but he's still alive. He's 73. It takes a really long time to execute. Yeah, 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 for sure. Well, and you think he was only convicted in 1994, 
So that wasn't really too long ago. So it's ago. been like 20, like 25, 25 years. years. But then it, but they tried to appeal. They have mm-hmm. all the appeals. But then yeah. the most recent appeal was 2006. 2006. So theoretically, it should be happening soon. We can have an update. That's true. When it does. We'll, we'll bring <laughs> it to our show. Um, so that's the whole story. Damn, Hannah. But I found, I don't know how true and real this is, but I found a pen pal ad from Philip Carl Jablonski <gasps> on a WordPress website. I, it doesn't, I don't know what date it was, so I don't know how real it is, but I'm going to read it for you <laughs> in, in its entirety. <sighs> I ask for your indulgence, ladies, bisexual and straight. I promise to be as brief as possible. Allow me to introduce myself. Death Row Teddy Bear seeking open-minded bisexual or straight males and females for unconditional blunt correspondence on a mature and honest level. Someone who has a caring heart to carry a special friendship built from the heart. Let's share our thoughts and feelings, good and bad, as we learn about one another freely and watch the growth of our friendship bloom like a rose. Let our friendship bloom like a rose. Let our friendship Be as strong as a castle which can't be broken. A loving heart is worth more than a mountain of gold. Love to communicate on any subject or issue. Love cats, horses, (laughs) dolphins, birds, and foxes. I like history, reading, professional artist, amateur poet, write, award-winning essay, and artist. Please don't just sit there and think that someone else will write because if everyone is sitting there thinking the same thing, then no one will write to me and brighten up my boring day. Please don't let the knowledge I am a serial killer and my situation stop you from writing me. (laughs) Pick up your pen and pay me a visit, any ethnicity or age. I guarantee I will make a speedy reply to all letters. Send all letters to Philip Jablonski, San Quentin State Prison. What? <laughs> no, that yeah. was a roller coaster of emotions I just went through as you listened to the, or as you read that. Oh my god, that's horrifying. Yeah. <laughs> wow. It's real. That has to be real. It sounds so It sounds so real. Like, well, I had like found messed up. I had found information when I was looking mm-hmm. into it about how he had I think I found that same <laughs> pen pal letter, but it was in a it was in an article I'd read. And they'd quoted it. So, yeah, I'm pretty sure that that's how he gets all these women to. How fucked? I know. What the fuck? Do it, listeners. Don't respond to that ad. No, please don't. Mm -hmm. Please (laughs) lead into this. Please let the fact that he is a serial killer and a convicted rapist prevent you from writing him. I love that. Don't let the... Yeah, he just like threw that out there. Love cats. Don't let the fact that I'm a serial killer keep you from writing me. My God. Well, that was pretty intense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sorry. It's kind of crazy to... I don't want anyone to ever think that I am trying to make excuses for people's behavior when they create, you know, commit these heinous acts because I don't, I mean, there gets a point where there really is no excuse, but it's, but it's interesting to try to find the underlying reason. And I just think there's a parallel to a certain extent between the last story that we did and this story with the abuse, the abuse of the, Mm -hmm. Of the child who then, in turn, grows up to be a monster. And especially how sexually abusive his father was to his mom. And, like, seeing that from a very young age 
absolutely well, had some then, kind of effect on you his know, mental state. The fact state. that he was, you know, not only around that sexual abuse in his home, but his neighbor was raping he and his siblings, you know, and yeah. like just constantly being around that. I did see there was something I did leave it out. Um the two people that his sister had said were there when they were molested at court they said that they were never there they never saw any of it and then one of them had seen patsy and philip having consensual sex with one another like a couple of times that they would joke about it and brag about it Hmm. so is there so truth to that it's hard to say a lot of these stories do say there's like some sort of incest because like the DeFeo murders, they, there are people that think that there was an incestuous relationship between mm-hmm. uh, Butch and his sister Dawn, mm-hmm. you know, so, but is it, a, it could just be a rumor too. Yeah. You know, I don't know. That's pretty creepy. Mm-hmm. Okay. So do we have happy thoughts to end <laughs> our podcast with now? On that note. On that note. Oh. I have a happy thought. It's football season, and I'm going to go watch my Woo. Kansas City Chiefs <laughs> kick some butt. Getting ready to get out of here. Yeah. yeah. My happy thought is that the new job's going really well. That's yeah. good. Yeah. And you're out of your old job. An upgrade from Starbucks. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I have a ha- I had a nice weekend with my sisters. That was Yay. really nice. Went up to um, the mountains and got to spend some time together, just the three of us. So. Some non-fucked up family time. Yeah. yeah. It we was really fun. It was really nice. It was. It was really nice. We stayed in a really nice Airbnb that was <laughs> cute, and I'll probably stay there again. Yeah, for sometime. sure. Sometime and had some cider and bottomless mimosas and walked a really really long way to a closed distillery who let us in anyway yeah that was really cool bought a whole bunch of whiskey jess bought a whole bunch of whiskey (laughs) yes she did (laughs) she's funny yeah well that's my happy thought i really enjoyed it my happy thought is getting to do this yeah that can that can stay happy thought for everybody for a few more episodes and then we'll have to give it up and we can't be happy anymore (laughs) I guess my my real happy thought is that researching this let me not do my homework. Oh. <laughs> but, but now you have to. But now I have to do the homework. But yeah. it was a nice break. I would ever get anything clean was when I was procrastinating homework. Oh, and exactly. now that I don't have homework, <laughs> I just don't clean. <laughs> I can give you some tasks the to procrastinate so that you can get things clean. Okay. <laughs> but then I'm going to need those things at some point. We'll just tell Belle that every week she's the one doing the podcast. And if she procrastinates that, she'll clean. <laughs> yeah, we'll just have a story ready. And then yeah. we'll just never have a podcast. <laughs> well, that was fun. Thank yeah. you, interesting. Hannah. In, not fun. Not fun. <laughs> An interesting story. It was interesting. Story. Our dragon lover was fun. Dragon yeah, out and delicious. You all was tell fun. your friends. Yes, the story was interesting. <laughs> And go Chiefs. (laughs) And go Chiefs. Well, thanks for joining us, everyone. Hopefully you'll come back two weeks. We plan to put out our next podcast. So, yay. Yay. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. How many times are we going to say yay?